education is not only a fundamental human right, but a passport to human development. It opens doors and expands opportunities and freedoms. It contributes to fostering peace, democracy and economic growth, as well as improving health and reducing poverty. Research plays a role in fulfilling this right. Innocenti's research on education adds to the global knowledge base on what factors improve school settings, how children experience pathways through the education system, and how schools and education systems contribute to the well-being of all children. Welcome back to our Research Focus podcast, hosted by UNICEF's Office of Research at Innocenti in Florence, Italy. I'm Angie Lee, and I'm delighted to be joined by two members of our education team here at Innocenti, Dominic Richardson and Espina Caramperidou. Dominic is a senior education specialist, leading research on issues of equity in education and the relationship between schooling, school outcomes and child well-being. His latest publications include a report on families and the sustainable development goals, as well as a working paper on a global indicator on bullying of school-aged children. Despina is a research consultant here at Innocenti, whose research focuses on the performance of government institutions and social services, as well as using qualitative research methods in humanitarian and development contexts. Despina is also coordinating the Time to Teach project, which explores the determinants of teacher absenteeism in several countries in sub-Saharan Africa. Dominic and Despina, thank you so much for joining me today. Before we chat about the education team's work, could you tell me a little bit more about uh, how you got into education research yourselves? My background is in development economics, uh, which of course is very closely linked to all things education. Um, uh, During my PhD studies, I also focused specifically on the delivery of education services uh, in post-conflict states. I've done um, qualitative fieldwork in two countries, in Bosnia-Herzegovina and Kosovo, looking specifically on the factors that allow some local governments in particular to provide um, high quality but also equitable education services to multi-ethnic constituencies. Um, During my studies, I studied uh, work for the UNICEF Office of Research. That was um, a year and a half ago, and ever since I've been involved in uh, multiple uh, projects that look specifically um, at the functioning of education systems and traditional education outcomes. So that was my personal trajectory and what really brought me here today. Great. Very interesting. And Dominic, what's your... What's your background? I've been working in child policy and child development and working on child well-being indicators for the past 12 years, following my PhD at the University of York in England where I studied uh, education and children's use of social capital, or relationships with their peers and their parents and teachers uh, in, um, in um, developing their own educational outcomes. I used the very first wave of the PISA survey back in... 2000 to do that study. Um, I went from there to the OECD where I worked on child well-being and child policy and three years ago after a long engagement of consultancy work with uh, UNICEF uh, I joined the team here to start the education research uh, unit and here we are three years later. And why was that decision made three years ago to kind of set up this this unit? Well, um, we should say that the headquarters office have a lot of um, research uh, uh, researchers and data specialists and evaluation specialists, and um, 
Uh, for a long time, most of the education research has come out of headquarters, but the regional offices too have have their fair share of research expertise. Um, but there, there, there wasn't any research representation in the research office, and I think they, the, the idea was to uh, may, may have been part of connecting the education work to the broader research uh, remit, so the other researchers in the office. But I also know that one, one of our tasks is to represent UNICEF in, in growing international discussions around research, whether it be through uh, advisory boards or uh, such as um, uh, work with the International Society of Child Indicators or, or indeed with um, uh, other international organizations and, um, and foundations that work on building evidence in education through the Building Evidence in Education uh, um, uh, group. Now that we know a little bit more about the history of the education unit here, uh, could you tell us a little bit more about the team's work and what you're working on, what projects you're working on at the moment? Well, I'd maybe let Despina start with the, her project, which is um, the largest and most complex of them all. So why don't you, you start? Um, sure. Um, so I'm working on the Time to Teach project. I have been um, working on this project for the past few months. We started work on the project last September. Uh, the Time to Teach is a multi-country qualitative research that looks into the determinants of teacher absenteeism in several countries in sub-Saharan Africa. So we are very interested in finding out what causes teachers to be absent in this part of the world, and we understand absenteeism as having multiple forms. So we don't only talk about teachers being absent from school, but also teachers who may be physically present at school but not actually in the classroom or even they may be in the classroom but not um, uh, actively on task, they may not be teaching. Uh, so this is a multifaceted uh, problem, but it's also one that is uh, also, um, it's a very urgent issue because it has, uh, it's, of, it's a problem of such um, big magnitude. Uh, we have data that suggests that as many as 47% of primary school teachers are absent uh, from school any given day in some extreme cases. Uh, absence from classroom is um, uh, equally uh, a, a huge problem. Uh, one in two teachers in some extreme cases like Uganda or Mozambique may not be in the classroom even if present in the school at school. Um, so that was our motivation, um, and this is the basic reason we started work on this um, project. We have been quite successful in um, getting support from uh, multiple countries in the region. We are currently working with eight countries in East and Southern Africa. We plan to um, expand our work uh, in Western and Central Africa. In total, we will work with 23 governments. So this is um, a huge, huge study with uh, a lot of potential to uh, make actual um, impact on policy making. Um, I can also say a few words about the objectives of the study, which is not just about uh, finding the determinants of different forms of absenteeism, but also informing uh, teacher uh, policy in all of these countries. Um, so this is in um, a nutshell, uh, the, the project and what we've been working on for almost a year now. And what have you found to be some of the, the drivers mm -hmm. of absenteeism? So we are currently uh, at this stage where we haven't started our field work. Um, we have had inception meetings in, um, in some of the participating countries where we 
agreed on the instruments of the study um, and also our time frames. According to these time frames, we will start data collection um, this summer. We will start um, in, in August and September. We should have all of our data um, by October. So this is when we will actually start the data analysis and we will be able to provide you know, concrete recommendations and have like real findings. We have many hypotheses at this stage. Um, there are several issues that uh, could be um, influential. Um, we, uh, to identify them, we plan to um, contact a multi-level analysis. So we will be looking at factors at the national level that of course includes um, the quality of uh, teacher management policies and that includes uh, remuneration, training, recruitment, everything under the sun that has to do with managing teachers. At the school level, there are several factors that may be uh, impactful, and that includes school management, uh, also the infrastructure of the school, the availability of teaching materials, uh, at the community level, uh, the, the connections between the community leaders and the parents, and of course, uh, the personnel of the school is also important. And there is also evidence to suggest that even um, the individual characteristics of teachers uh, may be influential, and that includes their age, their uh, contractual status, if they are permanent civil servants or honorary teachers, if they have received enough training, um, even their gender uh, may have something to do with their tendency or their propensity towards absenteeism. But still, these are all hypotheses, uh, so it remains to be seen which combination of factors may um, under, underpin this really complex phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And um, is there any studies on kind of the effects of absenteeism on children's performance, mm -hmm. or is this just assumed? Mm -hmm. So we assume that there is a link between teacher absenteeism and students' learning. There are several studies that have produced mixed results. Uh, our study doesn't explicitly and narrowly focus on this link, um, but we consider it to be a first step toward further investigating uh, you know, the, the consequences of absenteeism and students' learning. You have just returned from Nairobi, right, mm -hmm. both of you, uh, where you were training enumerators on uh, qualitative data collection. So could you tell us a little bit more about training and how this forms part of the project? Mm -hmm. um, well, training is indeed a very, very critical stage um, in, our, in the research cycle. So it's really important that we make sure that um, our enumerators are trained on how exactly to collect high quality data. What we did in Nairobi was to train trainers, and the idea is that they will go back to their countries and uh, train the enumerators, the people that will actually collect the data for us. Um, it was a very interesting process, partly because it helped us realize that this is indeed a much needed study in the region that was constantly reiterated to us uh, from um, ministry representatives who also participate in the study, but also from our, our local partners. Um, it also involves uh, a lot of um, capacity building, which is, we like to think this as uh, part of our legacy. So it's not a concrete deliverable, but it's really important um, that we um, improve capacities of local um, partners in conducting high-quality research. Um, so all in all, it was a very positive experience. Yeah, and with such a broad study, I think you, you have to have these kind of local partners. Exactly, we really value their contextual understanding, which is something that we don't have yet, and we are trying to, to, to build expertise on that, but 
for now we rely on local partners, of course it makes perfect sense for us to do so. So your working paper on a global measure for bullying has just been released and can you tell me why are global measures important? Why did you kind of develop this measure? First of all, the, the study on bullying, um, well, there's, there's been so many good pieces of research on bullying over the years and it's really uh, one of, uh, one of the, the key areas of focus for many child women, child development specialists, particularly around education naturally because the focus has often been on bullying in schools so that's changing with cyberbullying of course. Um, the study that we put together was designed to contribute to a, um, a report written by the Special Representative of the Secretary General of the United Nations on violence against children as part of a response to a, um, uh, a General Assembly uh, resolution on um, improving data and evidence on bullying. Um, and what we did is we put together um, evidence from six international surveys on school bullying uh, to see how many countries in the world we could cover with robust estimates of, of bullying in schools uh, for children of around about the same ages uh, covering the same definitions of bullying, which vary quite uh, a lot. So we were able to come up with estimates of the rates of bullying in school uh, for children between the ages of 12 and 14, uh, of bullying of one form or another, which can cover things like being hit, being excluded, uh, being ignored, uh, being made to be afraid, um, and so on, um, at least uh, once in the past couple of months. Um, the the results, um, well, we managed to get um, estimates for over 140 countries. Um, so we, th we think we did quite well, but uh, our big challenge was harmonising that data. It's not easy to compare definitions of bullying when they're different from survey to survey. So we, actually what we did in the end was look at uh, whether countries represented high, medium or low risk of bullying, depending upon their definition. Um, which was different survey to survey. And so you mentioned that 140 countries are covered by this study. Where did the biggest gaps lie in terms of data, which countries or which regions? Yeah, it was, it was slightly over 140 countries. I don't want to say whether it's 145 or 154 <laughs> off the top of my head. The, the big uh, gaps are in Central Africa, um, where the, the coverage of uh, the Global Student Health Survey uh, which is that's the survey we'd expect to, to cover Central Africa. Uh, the, the data wasn't available either because the survey wasn't there or the data wasn't there. Um, and in South Asia, there was also a, a lack of good data. For instance, we couldn't come up with an estimate for, for India, for instance. Uh, those were the two regions really that that that, that uh, had most of most of the data missing. Um, but we did sometimes produce estimates that were reasonably old because the, the, the surveys were not being repeated. Uh, but we didn't look at any estimates that were older than 10 years. Schooling and education research is not solely about whether children are learning, though we do focus on that. The work we do in this office uh, focuses on um, uh, the school system, making sure schools are safe, making sure um, children are in school, making sure teachers are in school, uh, as well as on uh, issues to do with learning. And bullying fits right in that, uh, that part of 
um, safe schools and, and of course we talk closely to our colleagues in child protection on this type of type of work. It's really quite informative but we, we need more data in this area and, and my colleagues that work on cyberbullying uh, would would underline the fact that that cyberbullying represents a, a different phenomena under the same sort of issue. Uh, we not really know how we don't really know how much of that goes on uh, and what real effects it has because it's often outside of the school and it has this uh, this problem of being so permanent. When you put something online, it doesn't go away. Um, whereas if you write something on a school wall, it can be washed off. And, you know, these types of issues are going to have different effects on the mental well-being of children who experience them. I think one of the most interesting things about the paper is that it proposes this a method of developing a global indicator uh, that can be used to operational, operationalise other SDGs. Um, so have you any experience or do you know of any other attempts to develop these global measures like the one you developed in the working paper yes um so well the 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 sdgs which uh, well agreed in before 2015 we've got 2030 uh to to address them well the first need to be operationalized they need essentially turned from descriptions of phenomena into statistics that measure those phenomena uh, and the sdgs unlike the mdgs is a global uh, ambition which means it covers all countries so we're looking for data across the globe and as with the bullying in the school-based surveys uh, the, the data um, for bullying in the school-based surveys that collects that data they're often regional um, and they and they they, they they include questions that are different so we need to harmonize them in order to come up with global indicators um, one of the biggest challenges one of the most interesting challenges has been also um, uh, related to education under SDG 4 which is uh, measurement of um, learning proficiencies um, and as anybody who's interested in education research will know about the program for international student assessment TIMS the trends in in mathematics and science study um, and, and other studies like that that assess children's literacies in one form or another um, Harmonising these surveys is very difficult. A bit too complex to explain. <laughs> no, but seconds, the data but, is there, but it's but, about trying to kind of harmonise it, it and make sure you're comparing like with like. Right, that's the big challenge. Mm. That's the big challenge. It's the same. We may we, we look at certain um, certain commonly accepted global measures like like GDP in different countries. Behind that one aggregate figure, there's a lot of complex. Uh, calculations going on and sometimes estimations going on um, and harmonization processes uh, the, the a simple statistic often hides, hides a multitude of complex decisions um, it, with the bullying paper it's a reasonably straightforward process compared to some of the other things I mentioned but uh, we could do with more research and indicator development this is one example uh, I hope it opens a discussion you mentioned SDG 4, um, and the, the, for those who don't know, SDG 4 ensures inclusive and equitable quality education and promotes lifelong learning opportunities for everyone. So apart from the Time to Teach project and uh, your working paper, how are the education team helping to ensure this goal is achieved? Well, we're trying to do our bit in building the evidence base around, uh, as we said earlier, 
the issues related to making schools work. Um, that's keeping children safe in schools, it's promoting ways of getting children into school, it's uh, promoting ways of ensuring they stay in school and that schools are given the opportunity to focus on learning. The sort of things we're looking at around the areas of participation and inclusion uh, uh, um, include uh, a global study on sports for development and the role of sports in, in facilitating children's participation and inclusion in education. Uh, with our colleagues in Latin America, we're looking at violence uh, in schools and, and, the, and, and the multitude of efforts to reduce violence in and around schools and the effectiveness of those efforts. With colleagues in the Middle East, we're working on um, life skills and citizenship education. In South Asia, we're looking at, at um, private education. Um, pri the private sector is an important partner in helping provide education services and getting children into school across large parts of the world. Um, but we know less about the sustainability of this approach, its efficacy and compared to the public system, um, and um, where, its, where its comparative advantages are. And, and so we're trying to learn a bit more about that so we can make sure these partnerships are, are, are working and contributing to getting all children into school. Um, and learning. We're particularly interested in, in how other sectors can help contribute to educational outcomes and how education can help contribute to the goals in other sectors. Mm -hmm. We've done a study on, on um, education uh, policies and how they're informed by family policies. Uh, we've done a study on um, how well-being in health, uh, family wealth, family relationships and child protection can influence educational outcomes. Um, we're all about uh, cross-sectorality mm -hmm. and systems work. Yeah, I was going to ask because it's not, it definitely isn't just siloed. It sounds like you're kind of touching on many of the other SDGs and uh, because of the nature of education, research, learning or, you know, school experience, it cuts across multiple sectors. Um, and you've mentioned some of them there, child protection, etc. So how do you collaborate with the other teams here at Inocenti to capture and to properly represent this cross-cutting of, of themes? Well, um, we're in constant conversations with our colleagues um, in child protection, uh, primarily uh, child protection and migration at the moment, because these are the two areas which are influencing most our uh, our present research program, uh, as I say, around safe schools um, um, and um, bullying, etc. The work in Latin America also touches on migration, um, and we've been supporting the work of the migration team as they talk about the integration of children into schools in Europe as part of their work. Uh, we talk to colleagues about the in social protection around um, the family policy side of things. Um, they're, they're doing a lot of excellent work on 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 interventions, cash interventions, which in, influence um, children's school outcomes, whether it's participation, learning, and so on. Um, so we 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 have we have connections. A lot of our stuff is is cross sectoral. 
One thing I'd like to talk about a little bit more is this uh, private sector partnerships, because it's something we're kind of hearing more and more about. Um, so can you give us an example of how of, of a partnership that you ha- might have come across and how it's working? If we went to South Asia, that we have colleagues um, uh, who work uh, with the support of um, BRAC um, in uh, delivering private... Uh, uh, education in South Asia. Um, I believe that the BRAC is supporting the delivery of, of schools in in Rohingya in Cox's Bazaar. Yes. Um, and uh, without that type of support, lots of children would go without access access to schools. My analysis of private education. Well, it, there's lots of types. There's those types of systems that that do a lot of independent provision um, in quite complex settings. And there's other types of private intervention where it's, um, it's a partnership and it's one service within the public school setting. Um, and there's the types of private interventions such as social impact investment, um, where s- schools or services are provided uh, to achieve a particular target. Uh, in the school in the school system or for a population of children these these are sometimes successful and sometimes less successful and we we, in fact this is why research in private education has become so important because we get a mixed picture about what works under what conditions um, uh, to what extent and and really importantly how sustainable uh, some of these approaches are not all private enterprise is there for profit, but inevitably some of it is. Uh, profit principle raises a question of sustainability. Um, when that's the case, we have to wonder, you know, how uh, whether there is a, a more sustainable approach, whether we're trading off short-term targets for long-term st- sustainability. There has been examples in the past where private schools have had to close or they've remained empty, they've just, it's just not worked, or whole systems have, have suffered because a private company has gone out of business. Um, so we're thinking of it from lots of different angles. There's, as I say, plenty of good examples of it working, but we need to learn more about those to see what we can promote. Um, and see what we might want to, to, to sort of treat with a bit more caution. Mm-hmm. What projects or areas do you think will be important for the education team to focus on in the future? Um, so already your work is um, multidimensional and interdisciplinary. Um, our ambition uh, for the future is to um, not really focus on um, a specific sector or narrow field, but uh, build expertise in, in really critical um, areas and fields. And that includes um, early um, education development, um, also education emergencies, which is uh, another field uh, within the education discipline that is uh, in high demand at the moment. Um, so our um, aspiration is to really build our capacities in, in critical, um, critical sectors and, and critical areas of research. The, the other thing we'd, we'd like to do is continue to contribute uh, to the work of evidence building in the international field in collaboration. There's so many partners uh, that we're working with 
whether it be foundations such as Gates or Barcelona or MasterCard on our projects or with the with UK Aid, um, when we work around education, uh, um, a research guidance with USAID, the World Bank, we partner with the World Bank, both in the Middle East and, and Mozambique. I suppose this is pointing towards what everybody understands uh, that cross-sectorality, multi-sectorality, integration of services, packages for child development, that education is an important pillar of a suite of services. So we all need to know a bit more about that and we'll, we hopefully can work with that. Uh, but we need to define uh, our, our evidence goals as a community. Uh, we need to ensure that we're not doubling up on research tasks, that, we're, that we meet um, or we take on the tasks of which we have a comparative advantage. And something I've learned working here in comparison to previous jobs is how connected we are both to programmers, people on the ground delivering school services, but also to ministries and decision makers, policy makers, and our ability to convene both groups and inform both groups. So our research should be cross-sectoral, should be collaborative, um, uh, but we should, we should continue to seek practical outcomes research that can inform implementation and research that that creates real change and is much needed this is very important and mm. this is why unicef is so ideally situated because of this close connection with um, with governments but allows us to identify um, research areas that are in high demand and really important for countries but also allows us to uh, to Con uh, convey our messages to governments and increase the chance that um, policies will be changed and real um, real change will be um, achieved. achieved. Yeah, let's hope so. <laughs> Great, Despina and Dominic, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank You're you welcome. For the Thanks. And thank you to our listeners for joining us today. You can find out more about the education team's work, including the projects and papers mentioned in this podcast, at unicef-irc.org forward slash research forward slash education. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at UNICEF Innocenti for daily updates on all our research work. <laughs>